Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, ask people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. My name is Stuart Carlton. I work with Illinois Sea Grant, Illinois, Indiana Sea Grant. Um, I work with all the Sea Grants, but in particular, Illinois, Indiana Sea Grant. And I know a lot about um, walking into the doctor's office and waiting to get your blood drawn and seeing a bunch of people go in before you and get their blood drawn and then waiting for another 10 minutes while nothing seems to be happening. And you hear some noises and you wonder what those noises are exactly. And then there's quiet and then they call you back and you say, what just happened? And they don't say anything. But I don't know a lot about the Great Lakes. But today is a special day. The one, the only, the special. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Ask Dr. Fish Live. So we're really excited. I'm joined today, first of all, by Carolyn Foley. The one, the only, the special Carolyn Foley. Carolyn, what is up? Uh, not much. Um, we only have two viewers, but there's the cat that everybody always sees. So yeah, I'm doing all right. Thanks. How are you, Stuart? <laughs> there we go. We got a live cat. I'm, I'm super fired up. And so yeah, this is um, our first experiment in live streaming. And so if you are watching it live or on video, hello. And if you're listening to it in the podcast, look in the show notes. Um, at teach, me, teach me about the great lakes.com slash 55. Um, you can check it out there. All right. But so with that, let's just go ahead and introduce our guests. You know, I didn't prepare this weekend. I, I did spend some time coming up with a new teach me about the great lakes theme song or interstitial music, but it wasn't related to this. And that was kind of a mistake. Um, but I got this sort of thing in my head and I wasted all my time doing that instead of a appropriately fish themed transitional song. So we will have no fish themed transitional song. Instead, we'll go straight to the guests. Um, so first we are joined today by not one, not, but two Dr. Fish. Doctors Fish, Doctor Fishes. Um, so we will introduce them uh, one at a time. First of all, uh, Titus Seilheimer, Doctor Fish, SG on Twitter from Wisconsin Sea Grant. Titus, how's it going? It's going very well. Great to be here and great to talk about fish. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. I'm excited too. It should be fun. Have some questions. Have some games, maybe. All right. So, so the biggest fail there was we totally had an opportunity to do like wrestling, like walk-on songs there. Oh, fail! Like, and in the left corner, Doctor Fish SG. Anyway, yep. Yeah, that was a huge mistake. Big. Yep, I agree. Or we could have that. What's that? Yeah, that song could have been on. Could have, you know, it's baseball season. We could have done that, but we failed. Anyway, we're also joined today by Doctor Catfish. Katie O'Reilly of the Notre Dame Stream and Wetland Ecology Lab. Katie, how are you? I am doing well. Now I, I just have it stuck in my head. I got to think about what my walk-up song is going to be for like a, an upcoming conference. No, you do. That, that conferences should have walk-up songs. It's kind of, there are many reasons why conferences need to be improved, I think, um, starting with, never mind. Um, but uh, uh, walk-up music, I think, would be a really good start. So Titus, if you had to pick a walk-up song for your conference, what would it be? putting me on the spot here i don't know that's fine i mean you got to start with that song what is it called it's called like war without it's got this really overburdened overbearing title do you know this one i'm talking about it's like war without honor or uh, i can't play it because they'll throw us off youtube but um, i'll send you the link after (laughs) and uh, it'll be good all right great uh anybody else have their walk on music if not we're just going to start asking dr fish and if you're there um watching on youtube just paste it in the old chat link I can do Job's final countdown. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, that's a solid one too. I'm feeling Carolyn actually would be would have a very strong walk up music game. You know, I think the in the bonus of the walk on, it, it's also a walk off music. Like you're playing off that 
uh, presenter who was right before you, who is still up there, because um, they went, you know, 19 minutes. And so it, it's a nice, not especially subtle, but, uh, you know, I think it's fair. It's like the Oscar music. Yeah, yeah, where they start uh, bringing, yep, yep. But, well, <laughs> if they go too long, you can do a different thing you learned at the Oscars to the person in front of you, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Or we can, uh, you've got to have keyboard cat at the ready, I think, <laughs> at all times. All right, well, let's go straight into questions. For, we asked people, hashtag ask Dr. Fish. And so we got a, a handful of questions here we're going to ask, and I've got a bunch more questions. But even before that, let's let's start talking about, like, um, initially, how did you get into fish stuff, right? That's a question we get a lot. Like, not just what is your career path exactly, but what? how did you get where you are, and why did you decide to do it uh, exactly? Titus, do you want to go first since you have the real job? <laughs> Okay. Okay. I will. Uh, yeah. So, you know, for me and, you know, I'm always jealous of people like Solomon David who have this, you know, Ranger Rick themed love story with Gar. I just, I grew up in Northern Wisconsin. I grew up on a lake. I grew up in and around the water. Um, and I think I was just sort of, you know, from birth kind of shunted towards, um, aquatic ecology, fisheries ecology, um, you know, it's, it's mainly a curiosity for me. I think a lot of people, a lot of fish biologists, especially, you know, it's, it's angling that gets them started. And, um, you know, for me, I can, I can angle, uh, if I need to, but I guess I'd rather snorkel with the fish and see them. So yeah, it was, you know, just sort of a subtle thing at, you know, uh, Lars Rudstrom at, uh, at Cornell. So the, the quote from Lars is that, you know, fish are, you know, why work with fish? They're big. You can hold them with your hands. And when you tell people, uh, I work with fish, people know what that is. You don't have to explain what a zooplankton is or what a, uh, what algae is. So, you know, it, it was sort of the most obvious. It's the most fun thing and fish are the best. Excellent. Katie, are you an angler? Can you angle or do you have a different sort of entry point? So mine is a little bit more the Ranger Rick side of things. Um, but I, I grew up in the western basin of Lake Erie around the Toledo area um, and some of my earliest memories were of like you know going to the beach and seeing this pea soup green water wash up on the beach uh, zebra mussels covered like their shells covered the beach and so you had to wear water shoes so you wouldn't cut your feet so my introduction to the Great Lakes was a little bit like hmm maybe something isn't quite right here but that was coupled with watching like nature documentaries, like Nat Geo specials about like the ocean. And for the longest time, I didn't realize like you could study, like people studied freshwater. It's like, oh, well, if, you know, a scientist, I go out to the ocean and study that. And so I, I actually did my undergraduate in marine biology um, before coming back to the Great Lakes and taking all my ocean skills uh, to the Great Lakes for graduate school. Uh, so a little bit of, little bit of both. Yeah. Katie coming to your senses and coming back, coming to my senses. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Too much salt water. Too much salt water. Where'd you do your undergrad where you did marine biology? Uh, the university of Miami. Oh yeah. Quite a bit different than, yeah. Quite a bit different than the university of Notre Dame. Yeah. But you're from up here, right? So when you got to Miami, you're like, it's just miserably hot. It's just too hot, too hot, too salty. Come back to the great lakes. (laughs) <laughs> you you thought you were going to Miami, Ohio and right. ended up in Miami, Florida and you just went with it. Took a left turn at Albuquerque, you know, 
just just went off the rails. <laughs> My master's advisor, Cecil Jennings was his name at the University of Georgia. He's from the U.S. Virgin Islands. And um, he, he, no kidding, like, uh, you know, he just retired. So that's his generation. He and his buddy looked at a map and saw the University of Wisconsin uh, La Crosse and looked at it and was like, oh, that's near New York City. And so uh, they... <laughs> He chose the University of Wisconsin lacrosse and um, flew in, flew in in the, the winter with his buddy. And they were both football players. So oh, no. enormous guys who um, uh, didn't look like a lot of the population of lacrosse, Wisconsin. And so uh, the first thing he did was buy, it wasn't even the winter, actually it was September, right? Um, but it wasn't Virgin <laughs> Islands weather and bought these, you know, these uh, uh, Christmas story t- style coats. And we're walking around lacrosse, Wisconsin at 6'4 or whatever, enormous. And <laughs> Anyway. So was uh, Titus for you was, so I heard like a, like for a lot of people, there's the, there's fishing is one entry point. Another entry point is like watching National Geographic or Jacques Cousteau or something like that. Um, and that's why actually I think the work that you two do is so important, right? Because it's, it's a different version of that, but it's, it's kind of the same thing. Was there something like that in your youth as well? Were you like uh, watching, you know, sharks eat a bunch of kids or not kids, maybe uh, baby fish rather, or uh, what? I did love Jaws. I mean, Jaws is my fa- one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, you know, it was you know it was growing up around the water, and like I grew up, we were commercial beekeepers. That was the family business. Really, um, like biggest in Wisconsin. We had thousands of hives. I can talk to you about beekeeping. Um, it's the reason that my wrists, you know, still don't really work that well uh, because I, you know, messed them up as a a young a young worker. Um, doing that. But, uh, you know, so we were farmers growing up on a farm, but both my parents had ecology graduate degrees, um, you know, whereas my, my grandmother didn't even graduate from high school. So, you know, I, I have that, you know, the not first generation story of going to college and, you know, having two kind of biologist ecologist parents who also, I, th- I think that was sort of, you know, really uh, from the very beginning, just sort of interest in nature, the curiosity of it, you know, and that's not what they did professionally anymore, but, uh, you know, we grew up around it. And I think I kind of, I was like, oh, I'm going to do something else in college. And it was, it was always going to be biology. And it, then it was ecology. I was like, I like this stuff, you know, I'm just interested in learning how things happen. And, you know, aquatic ecology, you get to study fish, you get to see what makes the fish work, why they do what they do, where they go when they go there. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, I think, I think fish, fish biology is great just for a curious person who wants to, uh, you know, learn more about what, what fish are doing and why. And so now that'll take us actually, now we got to get back to this bee thing. Cause I have a lot of questions, but, um, that, that may be today. That may be a different episode. Uh, we have a, our first, uh, listener question. This is from, um, so, uh, the great Tim, we call our listeners the great Tim, well, unless their name is something different. And, uh, and so he asks on Twitter, uh, if someone wanted to become a doctor of fish, what fun or interesting hashtag Great Lakes fish research ideas or opportunities do you see out there? What are some cool research ideas or opportunities that are out there? Yeah, you're, so you're not like this. Where are we at here? Like this is getting into it or what is an idea? Yeah, I think just getting into it. So here I am. I'm in college, right? That's that's what I think. Now, this particular Tim is already a, a, an expert on aquatic invasive species across the Great Lakes. Um, but but uh, let's assume that we're talking about a different Tim. And, uh, and, and so we want to, yeah, I'm in college. That's what it is. I'm in my ichthyology class learning about things that I'll ask you about later. 
And um, I want to go into fish stuff. Like what, what areas of research? Like, is it a lot of life history stuff? Is there a bunch of ecology? What are the most exciting areas do you think kind of looking forward? I, I, yeah, I guess as you know, the most recent graduate student, uh, I, I think some of the most emergent, like interesting emerging areas are using, using like advanced technology, things like genetic techniques, um, some some more of the advanced uh, data and like big data sets that are coming out, people who have things like buoys in the Great Lakes and taking that technology and applying it to some of just still the basic questions we have about the Great Lakes. Like, you know, why are certain fish doing well? Um, what kind of changes are we going to be seeing? Because that's one of the biggest things, um, you know, the Great Lakes are always changing for good and for bad. Um, and so, you know, can we get an idea based on some of these new and emerging technologies or can we use those to help us better understand and maybe predict some of the changes we're going to be seeing and how do we adapt to those? I think kind of generally speaking, it's like, okay, we have all this cool, fancy new technology, but how do we use it to answer some of our really basic questions? Yeah. And some of the people who are doing cool things like that, like sending out gliders that, you know, kind of they can skim the surface or things that can dive or things that follow where everything else goes. But you can say, okay, you're a particle. If you're a a sailor that's being blown around, um, what happens if you're a teeny tiny fish or things like that? I think there's lots. Yeah, I think that's a cool um And like you said, the Great Lakes are always changing for good or bad, but they're always changing and we can always try to make the best of them. The other thing I think that's cool is um, in the Great Lakes in particular is how every single lake has something different that is you could ask a question about. Like a yellow perch in Lake Erie is facing very different things than a yellow perch in Lake Michigan and things like that. I think that's really cool. Yeah, and I would, you know, throwing in there that even like a yellow perch, lake trout, you know, these are sport fish, they're commercial fish. They are species we know a ton about and yet ask a specific question about, you know, like wh- what does a, a, you know, larval lake trout do? Or what what is that first year of, you know, trout or salmon habitat like in Lake Michigan or any of the Great Lakes? And who knows, like, you know, there are still like basic biology questions about a lot of species that we don't know. And so that, you know, there's just, I think there's always opportunities. And um, as the great Tim would know, uh, you know, every time we get kind of new, uh, a new uh, invasive species coming in, it almost, you know, can reset the whole ecology of the lake. And, you know, we have seen that again and again, especially, you know, in the last 50 or 100 years, uh, you know, you get a new species profoundly changing the lake. And, you know, the biologists have to learn basically a whole new food web and a whole new ecology. So, uh, you know, that is uh, job security and constant curiosity. Yeah, that's interesting. And then I think another one, um, sort of a couple themes that we see there are, uh, you know, Katie brought up the idea of big data, right? We see that a lot. We've talked to a lot of people about the importance of data, I think, across this show. And so that's something that's really important. And the other thing I would point out, I feel required to point out, is um, the fact that, you know, it's not just... Uh, it's not just um, uh, physical, biophysical science research, right? There's a lot of research to do 
um, on the social side, social science side, you know, there's economics, there's how attitudes and behaviors, a lot of issues with trust, I think, in science have become very apparent in the last couple of years and things like that. Or, you know, things like market research, you know, a lot of people are wondering about the idea of can we develop a market for Gobi dogs in the region and things like that. And so there's um, research to be done on that as well. One person, one person is wondering. <laughs> there is a single, single individual wondering about this. I hear it every day. Every day on the street, someone's like, where can I get Gobi dogs? I hear about Gobi dogs all the time. So there's And I just don't have answers for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. So, I mean, that would be the number one recommendation. <laughs> but put it all serious, is people are looking for markets for like uh, walleye that are cultured in, you know, aquaculture or things like that. Right. Sure. Yeah. Or yeah. like fish that come from like uh, Asian carp, you know, like there were people who do economics on like you know, what would you pay for Asian carp so we can try to eat them out of existence? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so there's a ton of stuff, but that's that's really interesting. But and, and it does tie into the I was being silly with the Gobi dogs, of course, but it ties into a lot of the themes we've listened to on this show. Yeah. And as you know, speaking as like a, an outreach, you know, professional out in the community, you know, I think it's about building trust with, you know, people might not share your beliefs, but once you've built that trust and, you know, stakeholders are you know, feel comfortable coming to you and, and asking your opinion and, you know, really accepting it. You know, like they may in general doubt the science that you see on, you know, say, the you know, on, on TV, but, um, you know, we are people and we, you know, can build that trust. So I think that helps to kind of be out there and, and talking to people on the coasts and helping to inform them. So how do you build that trust, Titus? That's something I think about a lot. I mean, and you strike me as somebody who's widely trusted, and, and I think you work really hard to... I get nervous about using this term, but it seems to be the term du jour. Well, maybe the term of several jours ago, but those are the jours that are relevant to me because I'm old and my mind is senescing and whatever. And um, But so uh, it feels like you have a very strong kind of brand and, and that trusted brand. Um, to bring up another thing that we're talking about across the Seagart Network in a different context. But uh, so how do you build that trust with... Uh, stakeholders, especially with really diverse stakeholders, which we have um, in the Midwest, well, everywhere, really, I guess. Yeah, you know, I think it takes time. You need to be where they're at, you know. So for me, it's, you know, going to their meetings and, you know, talking to them, riding along on the fishing boats and, you know, seeing what they're doing. You know, we are, like, I think within, like, people do know what Sea Grant is. And then a lot of people have never heard of Sea Grant, even though, you know, it's like, hey, I, you know, our, our Sea Grant office here in Manitowoc has been around for over 20 years, but people are like, oh, what's that? So, you know, I think I think it's it's not necessarily that everyone knows who we are, but I think the right people do. And yeah, it's just, you know, kind of, a, you know, and it takes time. You can't just show up and say, hey, here I am, uh, you know, let me help you or, you know. I'm I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah, it just you know it takes time. You got to listen. Listening's important. Um, you know, hear what they're saying. You know, understanding their perspectives. Because if you're a, you know, a charter fishing captain, you're out on the lake every day. You're seeing something. You know, maybe it's about alewife numbers, um, which isn't. You know, they may see a lot of them. They are targeting fish that are around alewives. You know, so they do see that, but then to kind of realize that you can't necessarily extrapolate what you see with your, you know, kind of own eyes to a lake the size of Lake Michigan or any of the other great lakes. So I think it's, you know, developing those communication pathways and, and you know, just trying to, to pass that information along and not correct them necessarily, but get everyone on the same page. 
Katie, do you have thoughts about, so you've worked hard. So building an audience and building trust are related, but maybe not exactly the same thing, right? So do you have thoughts on, on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I 100% agree with what Titus has said. And I think for me, one of the biggest things is meeting people where they are both, you know, physically, like if I'm going to a meeting, but also meeting people where they are considering what their background is, where they're coming from, what their values, their beliefs are, and recognizing that, you know, there's something we can agree on, you know, what, what can we agree on? And then let's build from there. Um, there may be things we disagree on, but what, what's the thing? And I think with the Great Lakes, that's one of the cool opportunities that I think is in this region is that so many people care about the Great Lakes, whether it's for, it, it, they may care about it for different reasons, but I think there's all this vested interest in ensuring a healthy functioning Great Lakes. And so working from that, it's like, okay, we, we have this baseline. Where are we going to go? And, you know, maybe our solutions differ, but what, how can we work together to achieve this goal? Um, so I would just say, you know, in terms of that trust, it's, it's being there and it's being open and honest and honest about your limitations of like, okay, I don't know everything because I clearly don't. Um, but I can help, help you figure out an answer. All right, we got questions pouring in at uh, hashtag AskDrFish or in the YouTube chat box. So I've got some here. We're going we're gonna to fire off some questions. Rapid, well, semi-rapid fire. First one is, all right, this one is from the great, uh, the great Harper. Uh, and so she asks, why do fish have so many different types of fins? And what are they for? Which I think is a great question. Yeah, that is a, that's a fun, a fun question. Because, you know, you looking at a fish, you can see, you know, fish have different shape fins. They have different the position of where a fin is on a fish um, can actually tell you a lot about the, you know, the biology and the ecology of that species. So uh, if we were looking at a, a muscalunge or a northern pike, uh, you know, long torpedo shaped body, really muscular, uh, they've got their, you know, their caudal fin, their tail, plus a dorsal fin and anal fin right in the back. And, you know, basically what that fish is, it's a sit and wait predator. It just kind of hangs out and then shoots out. Um, you know, really propels itself. So it's almost like, you know, all these fins um, are just to shoot at that prey and, and catch them unaware. And if you look at some of those prey fish, you know, what might you see there? You might see uh, a fish with sharp spines on its back, like a yellow perch or a, a, any of the sunfish. So, you know, there's a, a pattern where you've got spiny fins because you need to defend uh, from animals eating you. So, it is, there, you know, just the variety of all the fins, of all the body shapes in fish is uh, really kind of fun to learn about. Yeah, and I'll just, I'll just throw in there, too. It's, it's really about, like, how, how a fish is adapted for its different habitats. So you can think of the fins kind of almost like a boat. Like, it, it helps, the fins help keep the fish sort of staying up. So it's sort of a stability. So you can think about, like, a boat's keel. Um, and then the tail fin is like a boat's motor. Uh, and so everything is trying to keep that fish, you know, up in the water and help it navigate its environment. So some fish need more power. And so they have a, a like a forked tail fin and that helps them speed really fast through the water. Whereas some species, you know, need to navigate more around weeds and logs. Um, and they have, you know, a little bit more control on like their, uh, what we call the pectoral or kind of like the fins that are right near their, uh, near their chest. And they have a little bit more navigability or, you know, 
they can be a little bit more nimble in some of those more complex environments. You know, and speaking, let's let's speak of Gobi dogs. I want to do a callback to Gobi dogs. And yes, you know, the round Gobi, those Gobi, look at those. Uh, and they actually have a fused pelvic fin. So uh, all our, our North American fish have two pelvic fins. So I like to think, you know, you know where your pelvic bones are. Think of those. It's like the fish's legs. Um, but on a goby, they are fused together in like suction cup uh, kind of fin, um, which great for fish identification. Um, if you've got, you know, it's like, oh, hey, this has got to be a goby because these fins are fused. But also it can act as sort of like a suction cup. Uh, because gobies, they are a benthic fish. They sit on the bottom, uh, and you look at their, you know, kind of body structure. They want to be down there. Uh, they don't have a swim bladder. They sit on the bottom, and there, there is a nice adaptation to the environment uh, where you can uh, just kind of hang out right there on the bottom. And so you can tell a lot about a fish just by, and it's been a while since I've been a fish biologist or whatever. You can tell a lot just by looking at these different body structures, right? Um, both in terms of, or how they swim. You can tell, right, right? Uh, there's different swimming modes, and, and I'm sure that research is advanced, but just based on that, you can tell, like, what kind of uh, life, life they, they lead, I guess. Uh, that's fantastic. All right. Um, well, related to swimming styles, and this one is from the great uh, the great Keith, I believe. Uh, what is the fastest fish in the Great Lakes? Non non bull shark edition. So I was thinking about this one, and Titus might disagree, but I think there's a couple. It depends how we're defining fast. You know, is it the fastest one can keep moving over time, or is it like a really quick? Um, burst of energy. Usain Bolt or um, uh, somebody who's really good at the marathon. Mo Farah, like the marathoner. Yeah. I'll trust you on that one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of like fish that can make really quick, speedy, the Usain Bolt ones, those are things like uh, Titus was saying earlier, Northern Pike, muskies, things that are these sit and wait predators and they need a really quick burst of energy. And so like those can go, you know, for very short distances, speeds of, you know, 10, 20 miles per hour, but that's for a very tiny distance. In contrast, you have fish such as the salmon, um, like Pacific salmon in the Great Lakes that are built more for kind of cruising. Um, and so they might be able to have more of that endurance as they make their migrations around the lake. Um, maybe not those quite quick bursts of speed, uh, but more of a sustained but I, I'll see if this turns into a controversy with what Titus says. Oh yes, I, I would hope so. No, sadly, I, I, those are pretty much my the same examples. I would say, uh, you know, with with the Pacific salmon, uh, you know, look at their native range. Um, you know, if you're a, a Chinook salmon, you might, you know, swim out of a river in Oregon and go all the way up the Alaskan coast, British Columbia coast, all the way out the. Uh, you know, the Aleutian Islands and then hook back. And that's like 5,000 miles. I mean, that's a huge journey where they go from, a, you know, a little fish up to a full grown fish when they get back and, you know, take that area and just lay it down on the Great Lakes. And it's like, it's like a bathtub for them. Oh, it's like, interesting. Oh, hey, you know, it like I could, if I'm a salmon, I could swim from, you know, Lake Michigan to Lake Huron and maybe I could just keep going because this is nothing, you know, they can, they can cover a lot of miles. So they just keep moving and uh, why they move, where they're moving, they are following the food. And, um, you know, so that's, they kind of think with their stomachs, like, just like me. I'm yeah. like a less fit salmon, I think. 
<laughs> yeah, but boy, if a grizzly bear gets you, it'll be so happy. It's all I want. You know, I want to give the the grizzly that just excellent meal. Yeah, that's good. So what about salmon in the Great Lakes? That's actually a good question that somebody had asked. You know, I feel like there's mixed opinions about this, right? There was a huge fishery for it for a while, and, and there's still a big fishery, but but it's it's a little different than it used to be. But these are introduced species, right? And, um, you know, if you talk to people who work in fisheries specifically, I think a lot of them are like, hey, this is, a, you know, this is, a, a, this is great. We've introduced a fishery, and, and here we are. Um, but other people say, well, why are we spending so much time and energy um, uh, on, you know, something that's non-native when we're worried about, you know, invasions otherwise. Y'all have thoughts on kind of salmon in the gray? Is it thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways? Uh, like if you have a thumb dipped in microplastics, which <laughs> way are you turning that thumb? Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I, I'll, I can leave that off because I think about this all the time. I mean, this is, you know, and here again, this is like a stakeholder issue. Like I, you know, have, you know, the sport fishing, charter fishing side, more salmon, more salmon. Uh, commercial fisheries, they can't catch the salmon. It's not that they don't necessarily like them, but you know, I, th- I think it is the reality um, that these are, this is the lake we have now. I mean, we have like the Great Lakes are, are altered with the exception maybe of Lake Superior um, that has sort of the most natural food web. Uh, but, you know, just kind of considering where we're at in terms of things like gobies and alewives and smelt and uh, spiny water fleas, zebra and quagga mussels. I mean, these are all introduced species. They're part of the food web. Uh, and so are salmon. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, there, there has been a lot of effort on restoring lake trout. I think we are definitely seeing some positive signs in Lake Michigan and Lake Huron now of getting more kind of natural reproduction. But, you know, at the end of the day, I kind of, I just think, well, you know, we're trying to restore the species that like 500 years ago was the top predator in the lake. Um, and today's Lake Michigan is not that lake. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think it's just sort of the reality that we need to balance these things. Um, the mixture of kind of the native species that were here versus the, the species that succeed now. And, you know, really like our discussions, like from a management stakeholder discussions over the last few years are, trying to balance the number of non-native alewives so that we have enough food for the non-native salmon to eat. Um, Because like fish in Lake Michigan, uh, even though some are a little more varied in their diet, like lake trout and brown trout might eat a a little more round gobies and some other things, it's still mostly an all-you-can-eat buffet on uh, alewives. So, you know, that is like, these are the kind of complex ecological management decisions that need to be made. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's just sort of the lake we have and uh, for better or worse, we, we need to make decisions and uh, try to have the, the most good for the most people, I think is what, who said that? That was, uh, it was uh, the founder of the Forest Service. What was his name? Uh, Pinchot. Gif- oh, Gifford Pinchot. That was it. But so then the other question I think related to that um, is, is like, what is the appropriate baseline even? So you said we're trying to restore this fish. It looked right 500 years ago. Um, and I remember like this, this whole idea of shifting baselines is dangerous, right? And that everybody thinks it should go back to how they were maybe when they were a kid or even before that. And they're using that as their anchor point. But, but what is the appropriate anchor point? And I don't have a good answer to that, but that's kind of a question that's hard especially given what you said, Titus, that like the, the food web has shifted a lot, right, um, over time. You know, and it's going to keep changing, too, because the climate's changing and that's changing 
the different environmental conditions that are going to be facing the lakes. You know, we may have spots that are heating up a little bit more, so you have warmer water areas that are not good for species in the Great Lakes that have been adapted to really cold, cool waters. Uh, that get they get kind of pushed out. New species that can live in the warmer waters may come in. So it it's really tough to say like what's an appropriate baseline. Um, and especially like you were saying, Stuart, there's people people's perception of what the Great Lakes should be or or could be comes into some of their like their background where they where they're coming from. You know, people who grew up doing the smelt runs. Uh, you know, along uh, up in Titus's neck of the woods in Milwaukee, along Lake Superior, rainbow smelt is an introduced species. People who grew up in the heyday of like the the salmon frenzy, like the late 60s and 70s, like that, they have those memories associated with just crazy amounts of salmon, uh, but they were catching these huge salmon. Um, and so, but if you think about even within those baselines, there was the baseline about 20 years earlier of invasive sea lamprey just decimating mo- you know the top predators in this case lake trout in the lake so the the baseline seems to shift you know within decades and that's i think part of the reason we need to have a better understanding of future projections so that we, maybe we can help plan for that baseline even though as we said the great lakes are always changing yeah no i agree with that it makes them fun. Um, okay, I'm going to ask another question that came in. I'm going to completely derail what Stuart is yes. doing. So at the very beginning, um, Titus mentioned how, you know, people know when you're talking about fish. Um, so I absolutely, I have a background in um, aquatic ecology, invertebrate biology, entomology. And if you're not willing to kill bugs, then you can't really be a good entomologist. So, or sorry, insects, not bugs. Um, and so... I have definitely done the like, yeah, I work on fish and bugs because it's easier than saying you're an entomologist. You do what? So that said, there are many, many times that I'm like, no, invertebrates are important. The fish wouldn't be okay without them. And someone asked a question using the Ask Dr. Fish hashtag on Twitter that really intrigued me. And so Dr. Fishes from the great Bonnie what do you think about the idea that fish don't exist? I will I will disagree, and I think fish do exist uh, <laughs> because I've seen them. Uh, that is my answer. Fair enough. So the idea here is there's a – so this is captured in a book called – oh, I can't remember the exact name of the book. It's a pretty good book um, uh, called like the fish uh, – Carolyn, can you get the it's exact It's called name? Why Fish Don't Exist. Why Fish Don't Exist. And so the idea is that um, people have done sort of cladistic analysis – uh, which is like they go back and look, you know, using genetics or what have you, um, uh, and <laughs> shows how much I know about it. It's probably more what have you, um, and look, and they sort of trace fish back, and they realize that f- fish, what we define of as fish, come from like a bunch of different sort of evolutionary trees, right? And that there's no single evolutionary definition of fish, and um, that when you look at like a ray or a shark and like a bass, I don't know, um, and a, a, a goliath grouper, uh, that they're not necessarily that closely related. And very often, very often, they're uh, much more closely related to non-fish than they are to actual fish. And I think this is really fascinating. It did not exist or was still in its nascent phase back when I took ichthyology um, last century. Oh, God. And, um, and uh, so I'm curious about that. How about this? What makes a fish in your mind, then? 
that is a really good question because there's also another school of thought and argument that everything is a fish, either nothing's a fish or everything's a fish that we are all, everything has, you know, evolved from, from fish. Uh, So in the interest of threading the needle on this one, and as, as someone who is not into the, you know, kind of phylogeny side of things, I just study ecosystems. Um, The actual, actual fish we study actual fish not uh these yeah i study actual fish i don't know what (laughs) scientifically valid genetic things yes it's valid but you know okay fish come on fish exist let's be serious and we're all fish that reminds me of one of my all-time favorite quotes katie or tweets rather um from a guy on twitter david plotz is his name and it's everything is a fruit and nothing is a nut um because when you look into it that is totally true uh and so everything is a fish or nothing is a fish right and i think that's the hard part so like Stuart, when you asked you know what makes a fish a fish some of the things that might come to mind have very obvious like exceptions so like you know there's things like oh you know fish have fins well it's like okay not there are some fish that don't um fish have jaws well no some fish don't have jaws things like lampreys are fish but don't have jaws um all fish have you know scales not all fish have scales so it's like every time you try and have like a certain characteristic that you're like oh this is definitely what all fish have it's like nope there's exceptions to this rule so that's why i find I like Titus's answer. I, I study real fish. I go out and I catch fish. <laughs> and see, if you're watching online, I'm putting a fish in front of the camera. Okay. So, oh. and it's a not goby, just any fish. So, yeah, yeah. Call back to goby dogs again. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I read why fish don't exist, and I I will tell you, I don't remember. I I don't. It did not stick in my brain, and I'm probably I probably thought eh, fish do exist. So. We are all fish. Well, the book itself is more about this woman's personal journey and things like that. So I recommend the book. It was enjoyable. Uh, Titus, I think you gave it three stars. I give it four, four out of five stars um, in my unofficial non-existent rating system. I really did enjoy it. Three out of five is a solid rating for me. Um, If I liked a book, you know, it was fine. I enjoyed it. Three out of five. We work in extension. We're not here for these philosophical debates. We're here. We sit around a coffee shop and do that. We're going to go out and do some work, and then we'll be at the bar after having collected a bunch of fish, right? Yeah. Stuart will be in the corner reading Candide. And, yeah, rereading, uh, you know. I guess. Actually, I probably didn't read it. Let's be honest. And Carolyn will be watching WWE Raw Live. Yep. No, you'll, be, you'll be preparing your speech for the or your slideshow for the conference the next day. Yeah, that's accurate. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, Stuart, I, I am the type of fish biologist who has never taken a fish biology class, but I have read Candide twice. So um, I can't say that I get much out of it, but I do read a lot of there we go. I, you probably get it. You see, that's how you build. You have this broad base of understanding uh, upon which you can build the bridge of trust that you build. So that is. That's excellent, right. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Great. Um, let's see. So then I'm going to quickly see if there are any more questions that have poured in. Uh, not many. So I think what we can do now is um, we're going to trend. So I have no idea. Those of you live, this will be interesting. No idea how this is going to work. Um, and there's a chance that it works wonderfully. Um, uh, there's other chances as well. Um, so what we're going to do is we are going to play a double, uh, two-rounded game of 20 questions. All right. And so Katie and Titus are each going to think of a fish. 
Okay. And in the first round, we're going to ask, we are all four going to rotate asking questions. Um, and we're going to try to come in on this fish. And then after that, in the second round, we're going to have like a challenge section. We'll get to the second round in a minute. We're going to declare a winner. And the winner gets 30 seconds of soapbox time. So they can stand on their soapbox and rant about whatever they want as long as they're not proposing policies because we are federally funded. Um, actually, one of the four of us can propose all the policies she wants. The rest of us <laughs> can rant about whatever and, of course, express opinions. Um, just uh, not about policy. All right, cool. So, all right, we're going to think and we're going to go 20 questions. And um, so do you think it makes sense to do, yeah, we'll do all of Titus's fish and then all of Katie's fish. And then um, and then for the second round, this is good. So Carolyn, but this is a real, actually, Carolyn, would you agree this is kind of like an Old West shootout almost? We got people meeting up in the OK Corral. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, 100%, Stuart. I thought you might. <laughs> so here was my weekend. It seemed like such a good idea at the time. All right. Um, <laughs> Whip it good. Yeah. I'm such an embarrassment <laughs> to our program. I'm sorry. So many. So many. I'm, I definitely, yeah. I was Thomas like, all right, go. <laughs> yeah. 20 all right. Anyway, so 20 questions. Titus, have you thought of a fish? Uh, yes. I, I do have a fish. I've written it down. Okay. Oh, this. that's good to avoid cheating. Yeah. Right. I don't, yeah. you know, I'm worried that I won't be able to answer a uh, 20 questions about it, but we'll see. Well, I think, you see, we've got Katie O'Reilly here. We're not going to need 20 questions. Yeah, right. that's debatable. <laughs> well, that's why, again. All right, this, who goes first, Stuart? This may or may not. Oh, I, I'm going to go first because I've got one key okay. question. Um, oh, and I forgot to mention, sorry, when we're talking about uh, fish, whether or not they exist, we all know birds aren't real though, right? Just well, quiet. yeah, okay. clearly. Okay. Good. Obviously. All right. all right, good. Titus, is your fish a Great Lakes native? Yes. There's one question. All right, Carolyn. All right, um, Titus, is your fish a fish that people like eating? No. Titus, does your fish live in all five of the Great Lakes? Uh, probably. Okay, that's good enough. That gives us info. Does your fish uh, 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 like to live in the benthos, on the bottom of the lake? Yes. Okay. Does your fish live offshore, mostly? No. Does your fish also live in like streams and rivers or just the lake? Streams and rivers, primarily. All right. And if you are listening live, feel free to chime in in the chat with a question. Maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll ask it. All right. Is your fish, um, oh, he's really into suckers. So let's, let's start with that. It could be a sucker. Yeah. All right. So is your fish in the catastomid or sucker family? No, it is not. Oh. Darn, I was going to ask, is your fish in the filet fish at McDonald's? Anyway, um, <laughs> nobody knows. <laughs> some of them are if you read. Anyway, I've never said. Okay. Um, is your fish larger than a loaf of bread? No. 
am I able to make a guess or like, what's the penalty if I mess up? Yeah, here? that's a question. So it counts is yeah, that'll be question 10. If I'm counting, we're right. counting on you to make the guess. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm trying to help narrow down for you. <laughs> Titus, is your fish a modeled sculpin? No. Oh, uh oh, uh oh. Oh no, I'm nervous because that, oh, no. that was a blow. Katie's Katie's feeling that one. All right, that was ten questions. We got one guess. Is it a modest? So it's smaller than a loaf of bread. All right. Okay. Is your fish smaller than the meat section of a goby dog? <laughs> uh, it is longer than that. Longer than that. All right. Is your fish one of Katie O'Reilly's favorite fishes that she likes to talk about a lot? I don't think so. Isn't that all Great Lakes fish? I was going to say, that's well, But she really, really likes lamprey that are the native lamprey. Is your fish one of the native lamprey? Yes. Oh. Ooh. Right. Okay. Oh, two questions for Down fairness. to like five choices, four right. choices. Okay. I'm going to, is your, is your native lamprey uh, parasitic as an adult or not parasitic? Non-parasitic adults. Non-parasitic adult. Okay. Narrowing it down till Katie's next question. Katie, if I had another question, what question <laughs> would I have? Yeah. I'm going to go with, uh, is it an American brook lamprey? You got it. American brook lamprey right here. Proof that I wrote it down. American brook lamprey. Look at that. That was 15 questions. I need a, I really don't have a, bubba. No. Oh, I know what we should have done. Really? Hold on. All right. Hang on. We got to redo that. So Katie, all right. This always goes right. Don't worry. It will go fine. Yeah, what I need you, I want you to say, I have a guess. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm going to do a drum roll. And then after okay. Quinn, this stays in, if we keep this little show, if we, then it's obviously, all right. And then after the drum roll, you're going to take your guess. And then Titus is going to say, no, no, no. You're going to ask your question. I'm going to do the drum roll. Titus is going to say yes or no. And then, um, and then we're going to do the symbol uh, if it's right. All right. Who knows if it'll be right or not? All right. So, Katie, here we go. Okay. Titus, is it an American Brook Lamprey? Yes! Woo! All right. Perfect. 15 questions. Exactly. Okay. All right. 15 questions. So now, Titus, to take round one, well, round one doesn't actually matter. Well, it matters for the next round. But you have to beat 15 questions. So I'm going to start again. It'll be the same order. Stuart, Carolyn, Dr. Fish. Just a different Dr. Fish. Okay. Katie, is your fish a Great Lakes native? Yes. Katie, does your fish live in all five of the Great Lakes? It may have, it may have at one point, but probably not anymore. Uh, Katie, is your species a benthic species? Yes. That was my question. I don't know enough about fish. All right. Um, okay. Oh, I'm going to tell me to can this one if it's a bad question or makes no sense. Uh, uh, oh, wait. They're only supposed to be yes, no questions, aren't they? Ideally. Well, never mind. I don't remember my swimming modalities, so I'm, I'm not going to ask you about that. Instead, I'll ask you this. All right. Meat section of a goby dog. Bigger or smaller than the meat section of the goby dog? Bigger. Bigger. Oh, all right. Hold on. We have a question in from the Great Geneva. All right. So I will ask that on behalf of the Great Geneva. Katie, does your fish eat other fish? Sometimes inadvertently. Inadvertently. I might be giving it away. but You might. You very well might. <laughs> your turn, Titus. 
cartilaginous or bony? Cartilaginous. Titus, if I have another question, what would be a good question? <laughs> Katie, don't listen. I could ask about barbels. Barbels. Oh, yes. <gasps> oh, yeah. Ask about barbels. All right, but I'm doing it for the video, right? Does your fish, I mean, more like this. Does your fish have barbels? Yes. Oh. I defer to Dr. Titus. Oh, wait, let me know if you have a guess. I do have a guess. Good, because I've lost count of the questions. What are we at about? <laughs> 10, maybe? Yeah. All right, this is about 10. So hold on. Now, you know the deal. You make the guess. Then we efficiently do the drum roll with no problems. And then, like, one day I've got to get a ba-ba, but we don't have that sort of going with the symbol. All right, so here we go. Make your guess. All right, Katie. Is it a lake sturgeon? Yes. <laughs> you also need the wah, wah, wah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really got out of my game, but we've all known that. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. All right. So that was Lake Surgeon. That was in less than um, less than 15 guesses, even though I don't remember how many guesses it worked. Yeah, but realistically, have... that's our fault, not theirs. <laughs> I'm an administrator. Fault doesn't matter. It's all about results. I'm never at fault. It's never my problem. All right. So now we're going to have a palate cleanser, and then we're going to come back, and this is what we're going to do. So now, Katie, no, Titus, you get to pick a number of questions, and then that is how many questions... Um, are available to ask in the second round of uh, 20 or more or less questions. And then Katie gets to decide, does she want to be the asker or the askee? But first, um, let's go with, I don't know, how about this one? All right, Titus. For this most exciting round, the championship round, we're calling it. Do you want to be the asker or the ASCII? Or no, you don't know. Oh, my God. I made up the rules. And there I... are no rules. All right. Hold on. All right. Uh, that's fine. Keep that in too, Quinn. I want everybody to know just what we're dealing with here. And that is my incompetence. Titus, for the championship round, what number do you pick? 1,000. No, no, not uh, seven? I would like seven. seven. I think seven. 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 Okay. Whoa, seven questions. So, Katie, uh-huh. do you want to be mm-hmm. the, the fish thinker or the uh, the fish guesser? And audience, I forgot to say, Carolyn and I are sitting this round out. So this is only between oh. the doctor's fish. So you'll get to ask all the questions or Titus will get to ask all the questions. Let me ask all the questions. All right. So you okay, have and let me change questions. to 20 questions. <laughs> All right, here we go. So now we got, if you're there, we got the split screen. We got Titus on the left, Katie on the right. Titus is thinking of a fish, and Katie has seven questions. Did I get that right? Okay. Oh, he's looking around, looking for inspiration in his office. Oh, he's shrugging. This is not a good sign. He's shrugging. Uh Uh-oh. I don't don't remember any fish. I've forgotten them all. I don't know any fish. (laughs) Titus, is it a Great Lakes native? Yes. That's one. Is it a benthic species? Lives on the bottom. Yes. Is it more of a cold water species? Or no, not specifically. Okay, I'll, I'll give you a little extra. I it's it's kind of a cool water. Cool water. Okay. Is it found in all five Great Lakes? Uh, I think yes, probably. All right, we got three questions left. It's fairly. Let's say it's fairly widespread. 
heirloom. Okay, I can work with that. Does it generally live offshore, nearshore, both? Uh, primarily a nearshore species. Remember, your guesses count as questions. So one more narrowing question, and then you got to go. Is this species a recreational or commercial fishery in the Great Lakes? It has been harvested historically as a commercial species, and there is a seasonal recreational uh, fishing for it. It's going to, I may be wrong, but Titus, is it a yellow perch? No. No. (laughs) Victor, what? Champion Titus, what is your fish? Uh, the white sucker. White ah, sucker. Is it in a filet fish at McDonald's? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it was right there. All right, Titus, as your victory dance, you can stand up on our virtual soapbox. You have 30 seconds, no more, no less, other than I will forget to count. Uh, <laughs> the mic is yours. The floor is yours. You're going solo. Boom. Take it away, Titus. All right. I want everyone, it is spring. You're looking for a healthier diet uh, this summer because, you know, eating eating well is really important. And I want you to think local fish this year. I want you to say, hey, I don't eat enough fish. I need to eat two meals of fish a week. That's going to be your goal. And to help fill that in, I want you to look for local fish. And uh, that is farm-raised. That is wild-caught. Great Lakes region fish. Uh, eat Wisconsin fish. Check out our website. <laughs> Midwest fish. Fresh fish finder. Take a look. There you go. Bah, 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 bah. And you can find links to all of those websites and more in our show notes at teachmeaboutthegreatlakes.com slash five five because this is episode 55. Believe it or not, that was probably too loud, but it doesn't matter. I get fired up when talking about episode numbers. I just can't help myself. That is excellent. Now, this has all been fun and we like to have a good time here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes Live. And that's good. And we love your expertise. It's good. We love the games. But that's actually not why we invited you here on Teach Me About the Great Lakes this week. The reason that we invited you on to ask two questions, although one of these we've asked before, so we're actually going to ask a different one. Um, And the first one of these questions is this. Carolyn came up with this one for the record. <laughs> Rarely do we have such an obvious answer, uh, such an obvious question with an obvious answer, but that's okay. Should French fries um, be dipped in ketchup or covered in vinegar? We'll start with our champion, uh, Dr. Fish, Titus Seilheimer. Uh, incorrect. Uh, French fries should be covered in gravy and cheese curds. Oh, there we go. Yay! <laughs> um, so it's a, are you a poutine? Are you a poutine kind of doctor fish, uh, Katie? Uh, I'm I'm there for the poutine, like in in moderation. There's only so much my heart can take. Well, I mean, um, it can only be in moderation. It's approximately three bites. Three one bites. one meal a day is just <laughs> enough poutine. It's a totally healthy amount of poutine. Though I'm going to say it depends on the fries. Like, you know, some fries are are good for dipping, but like if you get those thick, like kind of wedge fries, then the vinegar is a good compliment. 
So when you dip a fry, this is not a thing where I grew up, like, or maybe it was, but it wasn't a thing like very locally where I grew up in my house. Um, so, so when you dip a, like you pour, you, you dip it, like it were, it was ketchup and then it, it tastes, it's like a regular, no, what do you do? No, you shake the vinegar all over top of it and you let the vinegar soak in and then it's delicious. And then it, right. And so you're taking your fried French fry and made it sour. Essentially. And yeah. And that's an improvement somehow. Okay. Okay. It is, yeah. Right. Next time not... we go, I like pain. Yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah, we <laughs> we've got a number of restaurants that we're supposed to visit um, to get great sandwiches, and so I will next time. I will try uh, at Jasm if we go to a, at the Joint Aquatic. Got to say it carefully and pronounce it carefully and spell it out. Jasm, um, the Joint Aquatic Sciences meeting in in Grand Rapids. Um, when we go there, uh, maybe I will probably not, but maybe I'll get some vinegar fries. Uh, you go, you get a bottle of Heinz malt vinegar. Mm-hmm. And you carry that with you and you put it on your fries. You just carry it with you. Just Depends carry it at all times. First. You got to be prepared. Okay. That sounds good. All right. Um, and now, so the second question is, is the same it has been. Um, COVID restrictions are, are, as the context, are starting to relax, at least for now. Um, maybe for a long, who knows? Listen, we're not getting there. Um, but but so it's it's time for many people to start traveling again. And and so we like to talk about special places within the Great Lakes, um, you know, to give people ideas of where maybe they might want to go. So is there a place in the Great Lakes that is special to you that you would like to share with our audience? And, and why is it? And for this one, we will start with uh, Dr. Katie O'Reilly. The first thing that came to mind, because it is almost, well, I was going to say almost summer. It's it snowed the other day, so it's not really, but it's the Midwest. Yeah. So, but that, with thoughts, know, we'll of, there. Yeah. thoughts of summer, I actually was thinking um, a place that's on the Great Lakes, which is Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio. And it's kind of cool. If you've never been to Cedar Point, it's basically this peninsula into Lake Erie um, that has a really awesome amusement park. But it's always fun to like go in all the little kind of lakeside towns on your way to, to Cedar Point to have a fun day out, out on the lake. And so... That was my first thought. There we go. Is that where they have the, is there an amusement park there? Is that? Yeah. Cedar Point's an amusement park. It's got like, okay. you know, some crazy roller coasters. Awesome. Crazy, awesome roller coasters. Crazy, awesome yes. roller coasters. Correct. Titus, where can people go that's super special in the Great Lakes? Uh, you know, I am going to invite people to cross the border and head north um, along the eastern shores of Lake Superior to the city of Wawa. Take a left and head over to uh, the uh, Machadash River, no, Machadash, Magnatawan River, um, and explore that uh, Magnatawan Bay, uh, amazing place. Uh, you can jump in a sea kayak from there and just uh, head towards Thunder Bay. There you go. Thunder Bay, home to the uh, uh, Marine Sanctuary as well. I assume it's the same Thunder Bay. No, it's not. Different Thunder Bay, yeah. How many Thunder Bays are there? Oh, Lots of Thunder Bays. Bring the <laughs> it's a cool name, right? It's a cool name, I guess. All right, fine. Well, you know what? Go to any Thunder Bay. The main point is to go to a Thunder Bay, um, I think, or to um, Cedar Point. Or, yep, uh, you know what? Go wherever you want. The point is get outside, right? It's an amazing resource, um, the Great Lakes are. And so we would love to see you out there. Uh, that is fantastic. All right. Uh, we will wrap up with this. Katie, if people want to go and find out more about the work that you do, where should they go? They can uh, check me out on Twitter. My handle is at Dr. Catfish with a K. Catfish with a K. Now, the catfish has a K. It's not Dr. Catfish with a K, right? Like the- Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I always see that, that article from, I don't know, 20 years ago. Uh, like top 10 
email addresses it would be annoying to give out over the phone have you seen this well uh, there's steven with a you know a, a p right. steven <laughs> oh is that somebody <laughs> uh anyway my two favorite things from mcsweeney's are, are that the annoying email addresses and then every fall there's an article i read about decorative gourd season which i will oh it is decor yeah decorative gourd season is a very important season yep it is and that's also a very important article oh anyway titus where can people go to find out more about your work Check check us out at Wisconsin Sea Grant. That is seagrant.wisc.edu. Or follow me on Twitter at Dr. Fish SG. SG for super good. Super good. Super super goby. Super goby. Yes. <laughs> this is me flying like Superman in the in the Christopher Reeve. Uh, yeah, he's, he's got the one fist. All right. Or yeah. Um, or anyway. Titus Seilheimer, um, fisheries extension specialist. Is that right? Fisheries outreach specialist? Fisheries, fisheries specialist. Fisheries specialist in general for Wisconsin Sea Grant. Dr. Katie O'Reilly of the Wetland and Fish Ecology Lab at the University of Notre Dame. Freshly minted PhD off to even bigger and better things, if imaginable. Um, thanks, both of you, for coming on and teaching us all about the Great Lakes. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, well, I guess we should just go ahead and close. Or, Kellen, do we have any follow-up? Any Stuart, Stuart, can I can I do a surprise uh, post-credit question? Oh, you can. So I was really excited to answer the uh, why do your toes and fingers get wrinkly and not the rest of you. Yeah. All right. Let me let me introduce it. Let me introduce it. And then we'll, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'll, there's one question on here. And this one comes from a key internal stakeholder. So we want to be sure to get to it. And this is from the Great Hope. The amazing hope, the one, the only hope. Why is it when you go swimming in the Great Lakes or otherwise, or in the bathtub, stick your hand in it, maybe do some plumbing in the toilet or whatever. Why is it that your fingers and toes get wrinkly, but none of the rest of you? See, so that that is a great question. And I'm glad that question was asked because I had to look this up. And, you know, thank you, WebMD and Scientific American uh, for giving me the answer here. And so this uh, is, it's a physiological response. So what... Uh, you know, these are our extremities and our fingers and also our feet. So the uh, blood is being uh, kind of drawn away from uh, the ends of our fingers and our feet and our toes. And that uh, constricts those uh, blood vessels in there. And that's what causes the wrinkles. But the interesting part, and this is from a, a study uh, from a few years ago, what they actually found was that evolutionarily, uh, when you have those wrinkled uh, fingers and wrinkled feet, you actually have better grip. So it is sort of a, an evolutionary advantage uh, because, you know, your hands are all wet, they get wrinkly, you actually have better grip then. So you can climb out of that river or you can grab that fish, uh, well, probably not grab the fish, but grab that branch uh, with your wrinkly feet, wrinkly hands. And then you're also, you've got wrinkly feet, you have a better grip on a wet uh, surface that you're walking on. So there you have it. That, that is amazing. I have so many different images from movies right now with like, I'm climbing out and like gills come out and things like that. Evolutionary advantage. Anyway, yeah. Anybody see Cabin in the Woods? Well, and the one thing I'll just add is because I also had to look it up um, to be prepared. But what I thought was really cool was um, it's an involuntary response. And so 
uh, people with certain types of nerve damage don't have their fingers and toes wrinkle um, because that that nerve uh, you know signal doesn't get transmitted. So it, it's something like you know breathing where it's done involuntarily, but you know we, we don't take it for granted. <laughs> That's amazing. You wrote like little salamander appendages, temporary. That's pretty badass. Bad butt. Um, great. Uh, Carolyn, do you want to do the thing? I don't have it in front of me, so I can't. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's all good. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is brought to you by... The fine people at Illinois Indiana Sea Grants, a special guest from Wisconsin Sea Grant and the University of Notre Dame today. It's exciting. We encourage you to check out the great work we do at iicgrant.org, ILIN Sea Grant on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. We've been doing more Insta. Do the Insta. Teach Me About the Great Lakes is produced by Hope Charters, Carolyn Foley, Megan Gunn, and Reenie Miles. Ethan Chitty is our associate producer and fixer. Our super fun podcast artwork is by the extraordinary Joel Davenport. Thinking about you, Joel. For no reason. I just mean thinking about Joel. Because he's great. <laughs> he's great. He is. You don't have to ask a question to be great. You can just be great. But if you're not great, ask a question. Uh, the show is edited by the awesome Quinn Rose, and I encourage you to check out her work at uh, aspiringrobot.com. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email. Teach me about the Great Lakes at gmail.com, which is now actually forwarding, so we'll read your email when it comes in. Uh, or leave a message on our hotline at 765-494-IISG for Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Teach Great Lakes, which you should do. All kind of fun polls and other things there. So just go ahead and do it. Anyway, thanks for listening, folks, and uh, keep grating those legs. It's so good. Like, I miss chip trucks in, like, underneath the bridge where, like, they've got, like, the sprayer that they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, man, it's so good. You're, yeah, you're looking, at, you're looking at me like I'm crazy, but it's delicious. No, if you have is. good fries. Yeah, it, it depends on the fries. It really so does, does it get like totally soaked through? What is the deal? Like, like so is it like just the, the flesh of the fry? Yeah, it like absorbs it. So it's not super, yeah, it's not super, especially if you don't vinegar, like um, Titus was saying, it's not super like, hey, I'm vinegar. It's, uh, yeah. Okay, so you oh, squirt right. it out. So the trucks have big hoses. Like, I'll find and how long? Sure. How long do you have to? How long do you have to let it sit for? Not super long. Okay. Probably like enough time to like, yeah, like walk back to your table. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one of the. It's like one of those. You know, the lab emergency showers, and you just stand. (laughs) Your your entire body is coated with uh, malt vinegar.